Good morning, everyone. I hope you're all well this morning. I, um, I want to start off with a little story this morning. Is that all right? All right, this is a story uh, about clocks. So, in a small town in Switzerland, there was a little clock shop where an old man made clocks that people came from near and far to buy. The best clock of all was a big pendulum clock that took pride of place in the center of the shop window. It had been made by the shop owner's grandfather, and therefore it was not for sale. It was very special to him. The clock was so beautiful that people came just to see this clock. Some would set their time to the clock, others would simply marvel, but what was known was that this was a beautiful clock. One summer, the the clockmaker, he opened the shop a little earlier than usual, and each day he would arrive, unlock, and set up for the day. After a couple of weeks, he noticed the same well-dressed gentleman would stop every morning at the same time without fail, just for a moment, and then he would simply move on. One day, curiosity got the better of him, and the shopkeeper decided to talk to this man. Hello there, it's a beautiful clock, isn't it? said the clockmaker, waving to the man to get his attention. They shook hands and the man responded, yeah, it is, but I'm not here to simply admire it. And we could see that the clockmaker didn't quite understand. He pulled out his pocket watch and he explained, I'm the supervisor at the wool wool factory down the road and it is my job to blow the whistle at the start and the end of each day. My pocket watch here is a bit unreliable, so every morning I come, I check the time against this wonderful, famous clock. Is that so? asked the clockmaker, looking surprised and a little sheepish. Well, I hate to say this, but this old clock, as impressive as it looks, also keeps terrible time, and I have to adjust it every day. And I make that adjustment just before I close the shop by waiting for the whistle to blow down at the factory at 5 p.m. (laughs) I don't know whether the story is true or not, but I think... I found it helpful as I was preparing this morning because we've been looking at this series of, of by the book and we've been looking at over the course of this year, we've been looking at this sort of maturing disciples theme and uh, this morning we're looking to sort of wrap both of them up together and I think the importance is, you know, as we have all these different voices in our lives, as we have all these different messages, you know, it's really a question of, you know, with all these different clocks, so to speak, which one do we set our watch to? Which one do we listen to? Because if it's a broken clock, if, if, if the clock itself is broken and we're coming and trying to readjust it, then we're slowly going to get out of time. We're slowly going to start falling away. And so this morning we're going to be looking at a solid foundation. I love that we sang that song, Christ Alone, because... It says that, a firm, a solid, solid ground. And that is Jesus Christ himself. And over the last few weeks, we've been talking about how the God's word is abiding. It's last, it lasts forever. And so we can rely on it. We can bank on his word. We've spoken about how it's living and active and that it speaks to us. It guides us, it directs us, and so therefore... We can come and we can set our watches to God's word, knowing that it'll put our path straight. 
And we've been talking a lot as well, and it's sort of come through each week over the last few weeks, is that the Bible points us to Jesus. And, and that is, I think, so important that we always keep that in mind because we don't worship the Bible, we worship Jesus. And unless we're seeing Jesus through it, then maybe we might be missing the point. So always remembering that the Bible points us to Jesus. And really, that, that's, this is the, the heart of this whole theme. You know, we've got traits of mature disciples in the middle, but really, it, that could say following Christ in the middle. Like, Jesus is the one in the middle, and unless we're following Him, um, you know, the other things, either they won't happen or they don't really matter, as we'll see as we go through our passage this morning. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 7. Um, it'll be on the screen as well. Matthew 7 is part of the, um, the Sermon on the Mount. If those of you are familiar, it's Jesus' sort of most, one of probably his most classic uh, teaching sections. Um, a lot of sort of classic phrases that we get, you know, the golden rule, treat others how you want to be treated, love your enemies, all these things. They all come out of uh, this passage, this, content, this, um, this Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 to 7. And we're going to look at... Um, the end of it. This is how Jesus wraps up. He's got possibly hundreds of people sitting on a mountain, and this is what he says to them right at the end. He says from verse 24, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And then the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. So this morning as we, like I said, as we talk about applying God's word, and also bigger than that, as we talk about really following Jesus, um, you know, we're looking at you know, part of church family, serving out of love, committing to accountability, all these things. As we look at sort of how do we do all that, what's, I don't know, it's pretty hard to summarize like a year's worth of teaching in, in one sermon because we've been going through this all year. But three things I wanted to focus on, three things that we need to be able to do this. And that is one, we need a relationship. Two, we need wisdom. And three, we need endurance. So that's where we're going this morning. So, Matthew seven twenty four. It says that essentially this house doesn't fall because it's been built on the rock, which Jesus says is a metaphor for the person who hears the words and does them. Which sounds good. But then you start looking at the context of Matthew 7 and the context of the Sermon on the Mount, and things get a little bit more confusing. Because, I mean, that would be simple enough, yeah? It would be simple enough if it was just like, hear the words, do them, and you're fine. But then look at the verses beforehand in Matthew uh, 7, verse 21 and 23. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and cast out demons in your name, and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. 
So what do you do that when you throw that into the equation as well? Where Jesus starts off by saying, people do great things. There'll be people who do great things and Jesus will say, I never knew you. And then he follows up, oh, if you hear these words and do them, you'll be right. I don't know, Jesus, sometimes it's a bit confusing. But I think what it points to is that it comes back to the heart. And when we're talking about following Jesus, we're talking about applying God's word, it always has to come back to the heart. Because here's the thing, we can do the right things, but do it without the right heart. I mean, you look through the Gospels and you see the Pharisees do that. You look through the, the Old Testament, you see the Israelites do that. You look through probably your own life and you recognize, yeah, I do that too. Where we try and do the right things, but we actually miss the heart of what it's all about. We miss the point. You know, we can apply God's Word. We can be part of the church family. We can pray selflessly, share the Gospel, commit to accountability. We can do all these things, but... If we miss the heart of it, what's, what use is it? Really? Like, we just become good people who Jesus might go at the end of the day, oh, I never knew you. Which is a bit scary. Because it means that people can be doing these things and look good and we think, oh, they're fine. But we need to all somehow assess our hearts and go, actually, do I actually love Jesus and want to follow him? See, it's not just about doing the right things, but it's about having the right relationship. And that's what we need to sort of look at our watches, you know, and see, are we in time? Like, are we actually living that relationship or are we setting our watches to a different clock? You know, ask yourself this morning, are you living that relationship? Do you have that desire to just connect with Jesus and to love Him, to follow Him? Are you doing that daily? We need to assess that in our own lives and when you look through the sermon on the mount when you look through matthew 5 6 and 7 there's this constant focus on a relationship to the father i just spent some time this week just looking and i encourage you to read it like this week but there's these constant references to the father says you know i mean phil mentioned blessed are the peacemakers for they will be sons of god When he talks about being salt and light, he says, people will see you and they'll glorify, not you, they'll glorify your Father. Because there's this connection, there's this relationship that's implied. Or later on it says, um, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. And all throughout there's this language of the Father and this connection with His people. It says, your father will reward you, who sees what's done in secret. He's, three times it says that. And when Jesus teaches us to pray in Matthew 6, it starts off, our father. It's sort of this language of intimate relationship. And see, often we can read the Sermon on the Mount, and we can read sort of all these uh, behavioral instructions, and we think, okay, we've just got to do these things. But Jesus isn't just talking about the kingdom life. He's talking about life with the king. And there's a difference. Because we can do all the right things but not have the relationship. So this morning I want us to encourage us to assess that, to think about that. Where is my relationship with God at? Or am I just doing the right things? 
It's not just about adding these traits to our life. It's not just about applying God's word because, you know, it's a good way to live. I mean, they're good and all, but the heart has to be, I desire to follow Jesus because he's worth following. And I love him and I'm going to serve him. It's like we talked about a couple of weeks ago that we believe that Jesus has the words of eternal life. We believe that he is the Holy One of God. And so where else can we go? We're not just following to try and get there, but we actually believe that he has that, therefore we follow. And the order is always important. The order of how we get there is important. That out of a relationship, we come to serve God. And the reality is to have a relationship with God, we need to have a revelation of God. God is the one who needs to reveal, who needs to open our eyes, who needs to illuminate his word, soften our hearts. So I want to encourage us as a church as we, you know, I mean, we wrap up this series, I guess, this theme of becoming mature disciples, but really it continues on. That's the whole journey from here on is how do we continually grow in our faith? And I want to encourage us that as we do that, we would constantly pray for God to reveal himself for God to open our eyes, for God to illuminate his words so that we see him and we follow him. We don't just start doing good things and being nice people. Because the reality is unless we know the love and the grace of God, we'll always be trying to earn it. We'll be trying to get in the good book, so to speak, and we'll be building our house the wrong way. It's like the parable of of the lost sons, you know, Luke 15. Lost sons. There's two of them. There's two sons in the story that have got it wrong. There's one who, you know, you know the story. He runs away, lives a sinful life, does all these bad things. And he's the one who thinks the father could never love me again. The father could never sort of welcome me back. And he's lost in that mindset. But it's also the other son who stays and does the right things and serves and stays close to the Father. And he says to the Father, like, why did you never celebrate with me? And the Father recognizes that he too is lost because he says, well, everything I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. And, and even though he's in the house, he's lost because he doesn't understand. He's trying to earn his way. So this morning, if you think you can lose God's love, I hate to say it, but I think you're lost. On the flip side, if you think you can earn God's love, I think the Bible teaches that you're lost. God loves you, full stop. Can't lose it, can't earn it. And once we begin to know that, once we begin to understand that and receive that, that will totally transform our relationship with God. And as our relationship with God is transformed, then those traits will begin to manifest naturally because, well, it's out of that heart that we seek to follow Jesus and then those things begin to come. We need constantly a revelation of God. For him to constantly open up our eyes to see his love and his grace. And I, I mean, I was so good that, I mean, I don't know who picked songs for youth band this morning, but they didn't have my message notes. So they had no idea what was going on. But how good to be reminded again of his grace, that he's the one that's bought us. He's the one that is, you know, it's his blood that's paid for our sins. It's his, like all the songs are all about his work, 
not ours. And that's a foundation we can build our lives upon. Our works will always be up and down, but His grace will be constant. That is the solid rock on which we build our lives upon. So my prayer for us is that God will continue to reveal Himself each and every day as we turn to His Word, as we turn and live our lives with each other, as we pray that God will continue to show us more of Himself. And as that happens, we'll begin to have our hearts transformed and then we'll begin to live out these traits each and every day. So the first thing we need is that relationship with God. The second thing we need is wisdom. See, the passage makes an important distinction. It's not just about obedience, but also about wisdom. There's, this, um, there's the wise man and the foolish man that Jesus very, you know, I think intentionally uses these words and that it, we need to be wise in how we follow Jesus and how we build our house. And the thing is, wisdom is not just about knowing stuff. Because I think a lot of us, we probably know stuff. And we come from a tradition, a history where knowledge, theology, doctrine super important. And I'm all for that. But I think more important than that is actually living it out. Um, Charles Spurgeon says, wisdom is the, the right use of knowledge. Um, you know, that we can know stuff, many people know stuff, but Wisdom is the right use of knowledge. So for us, as we seek to follow Jesus, as we seek to apply His Word and do all these different things, the reality is we're going to need wisdom. Because there's some things that the Bible doesn't always mention. It can be difficult to navigate the way of Jesus. I mean, just think about it. Do, we, do I hang out with this person or not? How much should I drink when I'm with my friends? Do I drink at all? How generous should I be with my money? Should I have this nice car or not? How much time should I devote to serving church? What does a good work-life balance look like when I'm following Jesus? What do I do about my future? Should I date this person or not? What should I do regarding this political issue? What does love for my neighbor really look like? How much should I give to the poor? I mean, some person gives away everything. Other person gives away a little bit. Like, what's right? What's wrong? There's this need for wisdom like to actually apply this knowledge, this word to our lives. There's a need for wisdom to address these different questions that always come up. There's so many things that different Christians have different views on, that the Bible's not always super clear, and we need wisdom. But the beauty of it, the beauty of that, is that God actually invites us to ask Him. Have a look what he says in James 1 verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, I mean, is that anyone here? I mean, I'm one of those people. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. The Bible, you know, God doesn't always give the answers in black and white, but he wants to walk the road with you. He wants that relationship. And so we need to ask Him for wisdom. Come to Him. And if you're struggling, seek Him. I know in my life so often I just do what I think might be best. And I neglect to actually ask God for wisdom. Ask God for what He thinks. 
Because the reality is the path to wisdom is, uh, according to Proverbs, there's two verses in Proverbs. Proverbs, the first nine chapters acts as sort of the introduction to the book of Proverbs. And in the first chapter, in the ninth chapter, there's these two lines that outline the beginning of wisdom. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And in Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So if we're to be wise people who build our lives on the rock, if we're to be wise people who, who follow Jesus and put this knowledge into action, who apply God's word, I think the key step for us is to recognize that it begins by fearing the Lord. Now this is, doesn't mean we fear Him as in we're scared and you know, it's sort of afraid of the punishment. Though we do need to be aware that this is coming, you know, I mean... Our passage talked about that. The storm comes. The rain comes. The winds come. Both houses are tested. And we'll talk about that more later. But this fear of the Lord is not about being scared, but it's more a fear of wonder, of awe, respect, reverence. It's this fear that, man, God is so great and I don't want to miss out. You know, it's like, you know, I like to think of it as in opinions. I mean... If you're new here today and you came up to me afterwards and you said, Joel, like, you're a nice guy, you seem like a nice guy, but that was a terrible sermon. Like, that was absolutely horrible. If you say that to me, like, okay, it will hurt a little bit. Like, sugarcoat it just a bit because I'm a bit fragile today. But, you know, if you said that, that would be one thing. But if my dad came up and said that to me, he came up to and just said, look, son, that was terrible. Or, you know, that would hurt a lot more. Because there's, I have this fear of my dad. In like a nice, not in terms of like I'm scared that he's going to like bring out the wooden spoon. I mean, that was when I was five. But, you know, for now it's more that there's this respect. And there's someone that I have admiration for. I respect his opinion and therefore I'm sort of fearful of it. If that makes sense. It's not I'm scared of the punishment, but I'm, I, there's a respect, respect and an awe. See, this fear of the Lord, it's not about sort of cowering or being timid, but it's a place of humility, recognizing that God is the great one. He has a much better perspective than I ever will, that He's all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving, good, gracious, eternal, everlasting, and therefore, because of His greatness, I come and I bow my knee. I submit, I surrender, I lay down myself, and I follow Him. That's the holy fear that is the beginning of wisdom. At the end of Romans, Paul writes his letter, you know, 16 chapters worth of you know, heavy theology and, and um, instruction of how to live. And <clears throat> at the end, he has his doxology, which some of you will remember singing, I'm sure. But it's just this line that captures me. It's, it says, to the only wise God. To the only wise God be glory forevermore. To the only wise God. And I think that's this fear of the Lord, that actually recognizing that He is the only wise one. He is the one that we listen to. He's the one that we set our watch to. He's the one that we're going to go, yeah, that's, 
who I'm following because he's the only wise one. Like, there's these, all these other voices. There's all these other different ideas in our world, all these different perspectives. But I'm tuning them out because I believe that God is the only wise God. Maybe the biggest step that we need to take in applying God's word and following Jesus and doing all these things. Maybe the biggest step for us is that we need to recognize that he's the wise one and we are not. To actually lay down our own intellect, to surrender to his wisdom, to rely on his strength, not our own, not rely on our strategies or our devices or our, you know, our past experiences, but actually to rely on God and his wisdom, which we get by asking him by seeking Him, by walking the road with Him. And maybe we shouldn't expect wisdom unless we ask God for it, because He's the only wise God. And so therefore we submit, we obey, we follow. So we need this relationship with God, we need wisdom, and thirdly, we need endurance. Because here's the thing, the man built his house on the rock, The other man built his house on the sand. But it's only when the rains come and the winds come that the wisdom and the folly of each is proven. For a long time, both both houses are probably standing. And it's not until the end which everything's made clear. And that's what the Bible teaches, that it's at the end of the time where, you know, where Jesus comes to harvest and separates the weeds, the weeds from the harvest, the wheat. When he separates the sheep from the goats. When he comes to return and he judges the living and dead and all is made clear. In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul writes, Let each one take care how he builds upon the foundation. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, Precious stones, wood, hail, straw. Each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. So the Bible teaches that at the end, at the end of time, the houses will be tested. Our lives will be tested. Our hearts will be tested. And there will be reward for some. Paul writes that some will scrape through, and others will be punished. And we need to be aware of that, not, in, not fearing that in a scared sort of way, because we can be assured of what God has done. But what I wanted us to note this morning is that, is that each work, each person's life will be tested. And, you know, once again, we're not saved by works, but faith without deeds is dead. And if we truly believe, then will truly desire to follow. You know, and the big thing that I was, you know, wrestling with as I was preparing is that the struggle for us, I think, often is that we can start looking around to the different houses around us. And we see the house on the sand and think, oh man, they've got a nice ocean view. They walk out, they're straight on the beach. Their life looks pretty good. And we can look at our lives and go, man, this rock is uncomfortable. 
Like I can't even sleep properly at night. And, you know, it's a sacrifice to get up on Sunday morning. And I've got to be at youth on Friday nights. And I can't go to the soccer and all these different things. And it can be difficult when we begin to compare. We begin to look around. We start comparing bank accounts or portfolios or you know, stories of fun, crazy weekends and we think, oh, that sounds kind of nice sometimes. <laughs> but we need to remind, remember and remind ourselves that we've set our watches to a different clock. And so our life should be a bit out of time compared to the rest of the others. You know, we're... We're dancing to a different beat, so to speak. And, you know, like we heard last week, we've got a different manual. Our lives will look different. And we need to then endure in that. <laughs> because the reality is, 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 is it's a race. It's, it's a marathon. And we need to keep going, keep holding on, and keep trusting God. Because we're going to be tempted. There's going to be times when we despair and I think it's often in those times that we begin to rely on our own wisdom again. We begin to make our own decisions about what we think is right or wrong. And I think part of the issue is we suffer from what I wrote is short-term promise loss. We begin to forget the promises of God. You know, when the Israelites were in the wilderness, you know, God had said to them, you're going to the promised land. It wasn't an if or a but, like they were going to the promised land. But when it started to take a, a bit of time, when they got, started to see the challenges that would arise, that's when they started doing their own thing. And they started trusting in themselves rather than holding on to what God said would happen. Same with Abraham. God had promised him, you'll be a father of many nations. And he starts getting old and he starts, you know, thinking, really? That's when he goes and tries to take things into his own hand because he feels like, nah, look, I know you said that, but he begins to doubt the promise. See, part of living by the book, part of you know, applying God's word is actually holding on to the promises of God. And if we're going to follow Jesus, we need to hold on to his promises. In Hebrews 10, it says that we hold on unswervingly. Love that idea, holding on unswervingly to the hope that we profess. Why? Because he who promised is faithful. God has promised us a lot of things, and we need to trust that he's faithful. So I thought as we wrap up, I would uh, take us through a few promises of God. I went through my Bible and searched the internet, and I've got a few. And if there's one for you this morning that... You think, oh, I just need to hold on to that. I want to encourage you just to lock it in and just to hang on to that and to maybe repeat it, write it down. And may we hang on to the promises of God this morning. Matthew 7, 14, it says, The gate is narrow, few find it, but it leads to life everlasting. John 10, 10, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. I'm the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. James 1.5, we read before, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without approach, and it will be given to him. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. 
but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. John 10, 28. I've I've given them, which is Jesus speaking, I've given them, my people, eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Deuteronomy 31, 6. It is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will never leave you or forsake you, which is also repeated again in Hebrews 13. James 4 verse 8 says, Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Isaiah 41.10 Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And if you think, oh, that's just for the Old Testament people, Paul says in Philippians 4.19, My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory. In Christ Jesus. Or in 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9, it says, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8, God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Romans 8.32 He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for all of us. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And two more. Keep this in mind as we follow Jesus, as we seek to become mature disciples. Philippians 1 verse 6, he says this, I am sure of this, that he who, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ that he who began a good work in you. I believe that God has been doing good work here through all the things that are happening. But here's the thing, you're not the one to complete it. God will complete it. At the day of Christ when he returns, he will be the one that completes. Revelation 21 verse 5, right at the end of the book, Jesus says, Behold, I am making all things new. But there will be a day when all is made right, all is made new, all is made how it should be. And here's the thing with promises. This might be a bit controversial, but I, I don't think promises are meant to be claimed. I don't think we claim promises. Because I think when we claim promises, we're going once again with our own wisdom saying, okay, God, I need this now. Whereas promises are meant to be held on to we keep them safe in our hearts and our minds and we hold on to them trusting that god will bring it when we need it according to his wisdom his timing his plan so my encouragement this morning is that we would have that endurance by holding on to the promises of god that we would trust him that would hold on even when you know the houses on the sand start looking pretty nice even when you know our lives feel like they're falling apart a bit, that we would hold on, that we would cling to the rock who is higher than I, that we would keep trusting Jesus, keep holding on to his promises, because at the end it will all be, all, all be revealed. In the end, everything will be made clear. And the rock of ages, 
The grace of Jesus Christ will be what sees us through. So as we follow, as we apply his word, as we become part of the family, as we pray selflessly, commit to accountability, serve out of love. I think I've forgotten one. but As we do all these things, I should share the gospel. That's a good one. I should, shouldn't forget that. Whoops. As we do all these things, would we hold on to God's promises? Would we ask Him for the wisdom that we need? And would we do it out of a heart that just desires to follow Jesus? That we wouldn't get the order wrong. That we wouldn't go in our own wisdom, our own strength. But we would trust the only wise God. And I just pray and declare and believe that He is the one. He's all we need. Would He be all that we need? And my prayer this morning is that our hearts would be shaped and molded so that He would be all that we want. That He would be the one that we desire after. He would be the one that we pursue. And out of that heart, we would begin to live more and more like Jesus. We would become more and more like Jesus. And He would be the one that's glorified. Amen. Before we sing, I want us to do one thing. Because like I said, we've been going through this theme for a while. Um, yeah, let's keep that up. Um, what I want you to do is just with someone near you, preferably not like your spouse or partner if you're sitting next to them, but try and find someone else near you. And just share quickly. We do this at Generate all the time. I think it's called like actually respond to the word and do something active to sort of help seal it in rather than sort of just listen and then go eat ice cream sundaes, which I'm very excited about. Don't get me wrong. But what if just turn to put someone near you and just I want us to just testify to what God's done through this if you've been here for a while and just go, what's one of these things that you feel like you've grown in this year? If you've been around, if you haven't, just pick something that you've grown in, <laughs> whether in life. But what's one of these things that you feel like I've grown in this year? Uh, and just testify to God's goodness in that. And then maybe just pick one thing as well that you go, this is one thing that I really would like to grow in a bit more. And then just pray for each other. Is that okay? I know it's a bit different, but it's the last one, so we can get away with it. Is that cool? All right, take like... Five minutes. Quick talking, quick, pr- longer praying, and then we'll wrap it up with a song at the end. So find someone near you. What's one thing you've grown in? What's one thing you would like to grow in? Give thanks and pray to God for it. If you haven't finished, I'd encourage you, you're allowed to do it, like continue after the service, all right? So if you haven't finished, you'll have time after to finish off. So keep, keep it going. It's good. We're going to, um, we're wrapping up with a song and it's a song we often finish off with, but I feel like this song captures so much of what we've been talking about. It's called Christ is Enough and I think the or- I love the order of the song. 
It starts off in the verses in the chorus declaring the goodness, the grace, the sufficiency of Christ, that He is our reward. He's the one that satisfies. He is enough. And then from that place, it says, I've decided to follow Jesus. And there's no turning back. I'm not, not going another way. And though the cross is before me, the cross, the way of surrender, the way of sacrifice, we're saying that that's the way we're going. The world is behind me. I'm tuning out the other voices. and I'm going the way of Jesus. Uh, so as we sing it, have that in mind. It's not like, uh, I've, it's not like this anti-Calvinistic song that you know, I've made my decision to follow Christ. It's not like that at all. But it's about Christ is enough, therefore I'm not going another way. I'm following him. So let's, um, let's stand and let's sing Christ is enough.